Hello and welcome to the Sports Weekly Podcast. I'm Pat Cameron along with Matt Rosenberg. Today's discussion will be NBA dynasties. With the Golden State Warriors looking for their fourth championship in the last five years, we talk about some of the great teams of the past in the NBA and take a look back at some of the dynasties and how they were able to perform and be so good over all those years. We hope you enjoy your podcast and want to thank you again for listening. Matt, you know, uh, when we talk about dynasties, you know, the first thing you do, of course, is look at the number of championships won, which obviously is important. And we're going to do that. But I've also got a couple of teams I threw in here that maybe didn't win a lot of championships in a row, but they were very good for many years in a row. So I threw some of those teams in um, as well. And I guess when you talk about NBA dynasties, you, you have to go back to the beginning. And the first dynasty you have to look at is the Minneapolis Lakers. Three consecutive championships, 1952, 53, 54, in the real early days of the NBA. George Mikan uh, was the leader of that team, the first big man to really star in the NBA. Uh, he, of course, played his college basketball at DePaul, went to Minneapolis and won three championships in a row up there with uh, Coach John Kunla. And he had some teammates, Vern Mickelson, Jim Pollard, and some of the other guys. But that's really where you begin with NBA dynasties. And it's been kind of a, a lost dynasty. People don't realize it because of the team we're going to talk about in just a minute, the Boston Celtics. But the Lakers were the dominant team in the early days of the NBA. Yeah, I mean, you look at George McCann and you think about it, and you're right, it gets lost in the shuffle because of what happened right afterwards and the dominance afterwards that occurred. But you think about it, the Minneapolis Lakers in the 1950s, they were. And I think they also get lost in the shuffle because everyone thinks of the Lakers in L.A. They don't think of the Lakers in Minneapolis and that they were a powerhouse before they went to L.A. And then there was that whole kind of downtime for a big chunk of time where they didn't win the championship necessarily until it became the 80s and they dominated in the 80s and then the 2000s, of course. So, But you're right that I think that's why George Mikan is criminally underappreciated in basketball history because of what proceeded right afterwards and the growth of the NBA and the explosion of popularity and that it was not a popular game in the 1950s until an even bigger dynasty came along. And that's why the Minneapolis Lakers, as you mentioned, they don't get their due as one of the great dynasties of all time. The Lakers won the title in 1952 in seven games over New York, four games to three. They beat New York again in 1953, four games to one, and then beat Syracuse in 1954, four games to three. So, again, three championships in a row for the Minneapolis Lakers. As we mentioned, overshadowed, of course, by what happened next. The Boston Celtics, eight straight titles from 1959 to 1966. 11 titles in 13 seasons in the Bill Russell era from 1957 to 1969. Just an incredible run uh, by the Boston Celtics. And it all started in 1957 when they defeated the St. Louis Hawks four games to three. And game seven of that series is probably one of the treasures of sports that has been lost. And what I mean by that was it was a game seven. It went to double overtime. And Boston won the game, 125 to 123. I don't know if there's any video footage of that game or not. I think I tried to YouTube it once and couldn't find any. But 
that was the first championship for the Bill Russell Celtics in 1957. But what a way to finish it, beating a great St. Louis Hawk team with Bob Pettit and Slater Martin and, and some of those guys. Uh, but that was the beginning of, of a great run by Boston. The interesting thing about the Celtics is – from 1957 through 1965, they had the best record in the NBA every year in the regular season. So, I mean, it was just incredible that this team just never lost. They, they just continued to kick butt, especially in the playoffs. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, everybody thinks of Bill Russell and, you, you, you know, so many guys also on that team. You had the Casey Jones, you had everybody that contributed to that team, and, you're right. It's the dominance, but not only the postseason dominance, but the regular season dominance that Boston had. And it's just incredible. And everybody always states that guy. When you think of NBA, you think of dynasties, you think of those Boston Celtics teams. And that they would just run roughshod through everybody in the regular season. And then they'd always find a way to get it done. No matter what adversity they may face in the playoffs, they always found a way to get it done. And to have that kind of level of success where you think about eight in a row, 11 out of 13. It's just, nobody's ever going to ever come close to achieving that 11 and 13. When you think about that team, though, I mean, they had Bob Cousy through the 1963 season, then he retired. You mentioned Casey Jones. You had Sam Jones. You had John Havlicek, who we lost recently. Um, You know, you had Bill Sherman. You had uh, Tommy Heinsohn. I mean, you had so many great players. Bailey Howell, you know, uh, Satch Sanders. I mean, all these guys were in the Hall of Fame because of what they did. But, yeah, I mean, it was just a, an incredible team that Red Auerbach put together. And Red Auerbach was ahead of his time because he would go and look at the small black colleges and pick players out. You know, he would take chances on guys. He, he made a great trade to get the rights to Bill Russell. People forget that the St. Louis Hawks really had the rights to Bill Russell and could have drafted him, but uh, Red Arback put together a package where he ended up getting that draft pick, and that's how he got Bill Russell. And, you know, you mentioned Bill Russell, 11 championships in 13 seasons. Don't forget, this guy won back-to-back col- uh, college titles as well at the University of San Francisco. So you're, you're talking, what, uh, 13 titles in 15 years for Bill Russell. That's insane. It is insane. I, I couldn't imagine. Like, uh, how do you, you, you – it would never happen in this day and age. No. With, with the amount of talent that's there and that it's all spread out. It would never, ever happen because there's just too many variables. And guys, you, you know, they train better nowadays. And because everybody has access to the same training, the guys are able to improve. They, they know to watch their diets. Like, they, there's so much more of a science in sports now that prevents people from having that long run of success. I mean, unless you're in the New England Patriots who will just go on and doesn't matter how old Tom Brady is, he'll just wind up beating you because he's smarter than you and they get you to outthink yourself. Um, The Patriots are like a clump of weeds that no matter what you do to them, they always pop back up. (laughs) They're always there. I know. It's like, you know, it's what irritates me about the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. Like, I I guess I, I compare the St. Louis Cardinals to like a zombie. Right, you <laughs> right. can just you can beat the crud out of that thing with a shovel, and the zombie just gets up and asks for more. Yep, and then eventually you wind up just exhausting yourself, and the zombie wins out because they're they're dead, and they're not subject to the energy requirements that a human is. 
And that's, you know, it's just like, it doesn't matter. They just always come back from the dead. And you're right. Because Tom Brady and the Patriots are just like that. But, I mean, it's just, when you go back to Bill Russell and those guys and, and Havlicek and, and cause you think about all the big times that they had, it wasn't always just Bill Russell. It was Havlicek. Havlicek steals the ball. And, you know, you mentioned the Joneses. And so there, there's so many just, the thing about that amount of talent and that amount of Hall of Famers on one team over one sustained period is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Red Allerbeck, Allerbeck had that thing where he would just be able to throw packages and outsmart people to get what he wanted. The uh, Celtics, after winning the title in 1957, they made it to the finals again in 58. This time they lost to St. Louis in six games. And then the, the, the string starts in 1959. They sweep Minneapolis in four. In 1960, they beat the St. Louis Hawks in seven. They beat St. Louis again in 1961, this time in five games. 1962, they beat the Lakers in seven. 1963, they beat the Lakers in seven. 1964, they beat the San Francisco Warriors in five. In 1965, it's the Lakers again in five. And then in 66, 68, and 69, they beat the Lakers all three times in seven, six, and seven, respectively. And it's interesting, I've read a lot of stuff about Jerry West, and, and Jerry, Jerry West to this day is still haunted by all those losses to the Celtics. Yep. And y- if you think about Jerry West and Elgin Baylor and how good they were and what a duo they formed, you know, with a little bit of luck, those Laker teams of the 60s could have very easily have been a dynasty. But they had to deal with the Celtics, and they just couldn't get past them. Yeah, and you, and you mentioned it. I'm glad you mentioned it. Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, they just they were never able to get over the hump against the Celtics. They just could not do it. And you mentioned how history skews them because they were never able to get over that Celtics in 66, 68, 69. And it's just, you're right, it's something that does haunt them because you, you wonder where they would have been. I mean, Jerry West is an iconic legend, and so is Elgin Baylor, but they would have been held in even higher regard had they been able to get past those Celtics, and the Celtics just always had their number. And, and, and the sad thing is, you know, Jerry West finally did get his championship in 1972, but Elgin Baylor did not. Elgin Baylor was on that team real early in the season and retired. The injuries had taken their toll. He had bad knees. So Elgin Baylor was not around that team in the spring of 72, and Jerry West and them finally won a championship. So... You feel even worse for Elgin Baylor because he never got that title. I want to talk about the uh, 1969 NBA Finals just for a moment. That's Bill Russell's last hurrah. Uh, The Celtics have been beat up through the season. They're not favored to win. The Lakers are favored to win. Game 7's out at the Fabulous Forum in L.A. They've got Wilt Chamberlain. They've got Jerry West. They've got Elgin Baylor. You know, Jerry, uh, excuse me, Bill Russell's basically playing on one leg. It comes down to a Game 7. They come into the Forum. And Jack Kent Cook, who owned the Lakers at that time, had put up a bunch of balloons up in the ceiling in a net. Yeah. So when the Lakers won, they released the balloons. Well, Bill Russell made some off-colored comment about what they can do with their balloons and what's going to happen. And the Celtics go out and beat the Lakers by two. There was a little bit of a controversy in the game in the fourth quarter. Uh, Wilt Chamberlain at one point comes down on somebody's leg. He had to go out of the game for a few minutes. Laker coach Bill Van Breedekoff, who did not get along with Wilt, did not put him back in the game right away. And th- by the time he put Wilt in, the game was over and the Celtics ended up winning. Bill Russell criticized Wilt Chamberlain for that, saying that unless my leg is broken and the bone's sticking out of the leg, I'm in that game. There's no way I'm sitting out of game seven. 
And the argument was, well, the coach wouldn't put him back in. And Bill Russell's comment was, well, then you force him to put you back in the game. You stand up. You, you make a scene. Get him to put you back in that game. And that kind of frosted the relationship for a few years between Bill Russell and Wilt mm-hmm. Chamberlain. I think they eventually came back to terms and, and were on a friendly term when, when Wilt died in 1999. But that's the one you really have to tip your hat to Bill Russell, I think, more than anything, because that's probably a, a series they should not have won. But they did. They gutted it out, and they got one more title. Yeah, and it's, I think it's a testament to Bill Russell and who he was as a player and a person. He's just someone who was a grinder, a champion, someone who would gut stuff out. And and even when they weren't favored, they found a way. And and that, to me, is the difference between you know a dynastic champion and someone who's maybe just a champion. They, they find a way to pull it out all the time. And just, I mean, come on. You know, a team that's on his last legs. They've been to the finals, you know, what, 12 or 13 years, and they still find a way to muster up the energy and win one more. Right. And, you know, the interesting thing is I, I've got some postseason records of some of the teams I'm going to throw out here in a few minutes. One of the interesting things I found in researching those Celtic teams is they were never really dominant in the postseason. What I mean by that, their best year – was 1964 when they went eight and two in the postseason. There's a lot of postseasons they were eight and five, eight and six. So they had a lot of seven game series, they, and somehow they were able to win all those. To their credit, they were able to win those. But 1964 was really the only postseason where they were somewhat dominant. They they only had to win two series, and they went eight and two in those two series. Yeah. A lot of people say, as far as the best Celtic team of that lot, a lot of people point to 1965. The team went 62-18 and 18, uh, in the regular season and then won the championship over L.A. in just five games. So a lot of people point to that 65 team as maybe being the best Celtic team of that of that run. Right, yeah. And, and I would agree with that. You know, having that dominant in a regular season at 62-18, and 18, it's something that, you know, can't be ever denied. You know, when you're winning over 75% of your games and – you know, it's interesting that people don't view the 64 because of the dominant run, but because of 65 because of the regular season and a bigger sample size. They view it as more dominant, and they're probably right, you know, to consider it more dominant when you look at the whole body of work. The Celtics would go on and win two championships in the 70s. Bill Russell, of course, was gone by then. Uh, John Havlicek uh, helped the Celtics win the title in 74 over the Bucks, and then the Phoenix Suns in 76. And that leads us up to our next dynasty, which is the Boston Celtics of the early 80s. Between 1981 and 1987, the Boston Celtics made five trips to the NBA Finals, and they went 3-2. and two. Uh, They beat Houston in 81 in six games. They beat the Lakers in seven games in 84, and then beat Houston in six games in 86. They lost to the Lakers in 85 and 87. And we're going to talk about the Laker dynasty with Magic Johnson in just a few moments. but So the Celtics win three championships. Uh, they go 3-2 and two in that run, 1981-87. to 87. The amazing thing about that Celtic team in the, in the mid to early 80s, they had six seasons of 60-plus wins. I mean, they, they just had incredible record. Of course, Larry Bird was the leader. You had Kevin McHale. You had Robert Parrish. You had Dennis Johnson. You had Danny Ainge. You know, Bill Walton was there for some of them. Right. Scott Wedman uh, you know, was there for some of them. He was a big guy off the bench. Um, but, man, between 81 and 87, five championship appearances. They go 3-2, and two, 
and they had six 60-win seasons. That's a grim. I mean, that consistency, that 60-win season, you know, six on seven years, I, it's incredible because, again, it's a tougher NBA at that time. You have Dominique Wilkins and the Atlanta Hawks who uh, were always running into the Boston Celtics in the playoffs and losing physical battles. Uh, it, it's also the fact that it's a more physical NBA in the 80s. This is, you know, not only Dominique Hawkins having to get through, but, you know, you had some decent Nick teams at times, you know, especially when they started to get Ewing. But, you know, there were other teams that they had to go through. They had to go through the Bulls. They had to go through the Pistons as well towards the end of that run. You know, the Pistons really being the ones who really ended that Eastern Conference dominance. But, I mean, I think about those those Boston Celtics teams and that they took on the uh, personality of Larry Burns. They took on the personality of Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish. These were tough dudes. Just tough dudes. They'd knock you on your butt. I mean, it was an unforgiving NBA at that time. And I think that, to me, is what makes the 60-win seasons so memorable and remarkable that many 60-win seasons because of how physical the NBA was at that time. Well, you think, too, that back then the NBA was different. It was about the big man back then, unlike now, which is more about the point guard play and and uh, that kind of thing. You know, you had three big guys in Larry Bird, Robert Parrish, and Kevin McHale that you had to deal with every time you played the Celtics. And Larry Bird's arguably one of the five or ten best players to ever step foot on an NBA court. But... Um, just an incredible run by the Celtics again. So you got the dynasty in the 60s, and now you got the dynasty in the 80s. Now, the dynasty that goes hand-in-hand hand with them is the L.A. Lakers. Um, between 1980 and 89, the Lakers uh, made a lot of runs to the championship. In fact, they won five titles, and they lost three times. They were 5-3 and three in their eight championship runs. They lost in 83 to Philadelphia. They lost to Boston in 84, and they got swept by the Pistons in 89. Not to take anything away from the Pistons, but the Lakers had some serious injury problems in that 89 series, which is the reason right. why the Pistons were able to sweep them. But you look at the Lakers. They won in 1980, four games to two. Uh, they beat Philly again in 82, four games to two. Three years later in 85, they beat Boston in six. Then they beat Boston in six again in 87, and then they beat the Pistons in seven games in 1988. And I want to go back to the 1980 series for a minute. That's memorable because the Lakers had a three games to two lead in that series. Game six, slated to be in Philadelphia. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is not going to be able to play. He's got a sprained ankle. In fact, if I remember correctly, he didn't even make the trip. He stayed back in L.A. Magic Johnson, who was a rookie. Don't forget, he was a, this was his rookie year. He steps in at center. 42 points and 15 rebounds. The Lakers win the championship. They defeat Philadelphia, and Magic Johnson gets his first NBA title. And then, of course, they beat Philly again in 82, and then a lot of hard-fought series along the way. But that was the first one for Magic, his rookie year, stepping in for a, a legend like Kareem. Lakers don't miss a beat. They win the title. It's the greatness of Magic Johnson, the fact that he was able to play from 1 to 5 on the court. And you mentioned it, Pat, the fact that he took over for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh, in 1980, played center. He hadn't played center all year. Puts up 42 and 15. I, it, it, he, not only that, he's doing Kareem's moves. He's doing the sky hook. He's doing all that. And it just goes to show you how great Magic Johnson was and why he's a top 
5'10 player ever to take the court as well, and that he could play all over the court. And I think that, you know, with those L.A. teams, as you go on, you know, you have the Showtime Lakers. It brought back a buzz to the NBA. and I think something that the NBA needed after the 70s, you know, they needed that big rivalry, and Magic and Bird was that rivalry. And it's just, it made the NBA in the 80s. And then the Lakers uh, made the title, uh, the finals again in 91. They lost to the Bulls. We're going to talk about the Bulls in just a few minutes. Um, that was the last run for Magic because later that year, we would find out that Magic had HIV and he had to quit the NBA. And, and that was kind of the end of the Lakers for most of the 90s. And we're going to touch on another Laker yeah. dynasty a little bit later on. Let me give you the postseason records for, for the Lakers in this dynasty. In 1980, they go 12-3 and in the postseason. 1982, 12-2. 1985, 15-3. 15-3 again in 87, and then 15-9 and in 88. That is uh, 69-20 and in the postseason and, and in their five championship years. And nine of those losses came the last title. Correct. When they were on their last leg. Right, when they were on their last leg. You know, so, I mean, imagine that. And, and you know, when you're reading out those stats, remember they won six-game series in the finals. Mm -hmm. It was always a tough, you know, they had a tough test, which meant that the Western Conference was just no test for them at all. Right. You know, they, they lost one game in each of those four, in, in three of those four runs, they lost one game. In 82, they didn't lose a game until the finals. Right. So you, you look at that, and again, it just speaks to how dominant they were. They, they weren't worried. And then they'd have those tough physical series in the finals. So, I mean, you look at the Lakers, it, it just speaks their dominance. And, and I'd be interested to see what's the, what was the record in the three years that they lost. Were they running for the Western Conference as well? Pretty much. Yeah, I don't have those numbers on me, but uh, uh, pretty much. And then, you know, 88, you can tell they were starting to get a little bit old. They, they had the seven-gamer with the Pistons, and then they had a seven-gamer in the Western Conference Finals. So you could tell, you know, Kareem was near the end at that point. He would retire yeah. uh, right around 89, and then, you know, some of the other guys had played a lot of basketball. So, But, yeah, you're right. I mean, they dominated the Western Conference back then, uh, no doubt about it. Going on to the next dynasty, we have to talk about our Bulls. Um, three championships between 1991, 92, and 93. Then we have the two years where the Bulls don't win. Michael Jordan's gone for part of that time. Then they come back and win three titles again uh, in a row, 1996, 97, and 98. Uh, the first title, of course, was over the Lakers in 91. They lost game one, came back and won the next four. They beat Portland in six in 92, Phoenix in six in 93, Seattle in six in 96, and then Utah in six in 97 and 98. And the amazing thing about those Bulls teams, six championships, never once did they have to go to a game seven in the NBA Finals. And the other stat I ran across just last night, I did not realize this, in all six years that the Bulls won the championship, they did not lose a game in the first round. They swept the first round all six times. That's incredible. I would have thought maybe in one of those early runs they lost yeah. one. In, since I knew 96 or 98 they didn't lose one. Right. I mean, they, they, they ran through the Miami. Usually the Miami Heat in the first round. Or Charlotte. Yeah, they yeah, beat or Charlotte. Charlotte. It was Miami yeah. Heat or Charlotte on uh, the last three peak. But you look at it, and you look at the Bulls dynasty, and I wrote that too down in my notes, that, that they never went to a game seven. It was always five or six, and it was just five for the first one and six for everything else. And, you know, having the firsthand experience of growing up 
in the pools and being a young kid. And uh, I was, what, I was nine? Nine when they won the last title? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would have been nine. So I had just turned nine when they won the last title. But, y- you know, you always had a clutch shot from my- Michael Jordan at some point in the final series. But he also was also willing to make that pass. It didn't always sure. have to be Jordan who made the final shot. In 93, you have John Patson with the three from the right side, from the right side over uh, over Dan Marley. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Horace Grant blocking the shot by Marley. Uh, in game one of 97, you have Steve Kerr making the game-winning shot yeah. uh, in game one of the finals against Utah. So, yeah, Michael, he didn't have to take the shot. Yeah. He fed it off. But let me give you some uh, – Postseason numbers for the Bulls in their championship run: uh, fifteen and two in '91, okay. fifteen and seven in '92, fifteen and four in '93. Then you had fifteen and three in '96, fifteen and four in '97, and fifteen and six in '98. That's ninety and twenty-six. They were twenty-four and seven in elimination games, so they they finished the deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Right, and that was the thing. They had that killer instinct. They were very rare for them to lose an elimination game when they had a chance to put an opponent away. And, I mean, really the only time that they struggled to put an opponent away in the finals was against Seattle in 96 when they were up 3-0 and mm-hmm. then they lost the next two games inexplicably <laughs> and then wound up having to win game six, which they won very comfortably. They won by 12, 87 to 70. Five, I think they won game six against Seattle. Uh, the other thing is, and, and I go back, Steve Kerr was the one who hit the big shot in game six against Utah in 97 at home. So, you know, they always came up clutch in the big moments. They very, very rarely went to a game seven in any series. I can only think of two off the top of my head. They went to a game seven against New York and mm-hmm. one of the Eastern Conference, I want to say the Eastern Conference semifinal final round. I don't think it was Correct. an Eastern Conference final. No, I think you're right. It was a semis. I want to say that was 92. Uh, 92. It, it was 92 because in 93, it was the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Knicks took the first two games yeah. of that series, and the Bulls raced back and won the next four. Right, and I, if I remember... Or four or five. Yes. And uh, and then, you know, they went to a game seven against Indiana in 98, the Eastern Conference Final, when Correct. they were getting towards the end of... You could tell they were getting towards the end of the run. That was, I mean, that game seven was tough. That was one of the toughest games of that Bulls was probably that game seven against Indiana because they were down for a big chunk of that game. I remember that night. Uh, that was a Sunday uh, night. Yes, it and was. And I was at Wrigley Field uh, at a Cub game, and the people across the street in one of the buildings kept updating the score by holding a sheet out the window. <laughs> you know, and you got to remember, this is back right. before little cell phones and all that stuff. But they kept holding out the sheet and, and updating the score. And like you said, the Bulls were losing a good portion of that game. And then finally, when they took the lead, I think it was in the, in the fourth quarter, it was. they hung the sheet out. And it's like in the middle of an inning. And yeah. the fans just went nuts. Everybody's cheering. And I think, it, I think even the players knew what was going on. I think they were looking out that way, too. But uh, I'll never forget that night, being at Wrigley Field and watching those those people continually hanging the sheet out the window yeah. of the building across the street at Wrigley Field to update us on the score. Actually, most of the Bulls' big moments in that run came on a Sunday night. Yeah. On either Father's Day or, or as you mentioned, because I do remember it being a Sunday night, because I remember my dad 
going down because we lived in a condo at that time, and the laundry was in the basement, and we were on the second floor. So, you know, you'd have to take the laundry. Because, again, this was the 90s. You know, washer and dryers <laughs> right. in, the, in the unit. Right. So I will never forget that the, the pacers were up by about, I want to say, six or seven. My dad went down to get the laundry and, you know, change it out from the washer to dryer and bring, it, bring the stuff back up. And when they came back, the pools were up by, like, two when he came back up. And I told him he had to go back down to the basement. He wasn't allowed to watch the rest of the game. <laughs> but I remember that game was crazy and Bulls only won that one by about five, but they didn't take the lead until probably about five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and that was a fun game. But the Bulls, with that, they had the thing where they just kind of toyed around for the first three and a half quarters, and they made sure they were within, like, three or four. <laughs> and that was about six minutes, six, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. That's when they turned on the defense, and they looked at the end of the game, and they won by eight. You right. assumed it was a comfortable victory. and I mean, it was because they really didn't care for the first three and a half quarters as long as they kept you within, you know, within striking range. But, I mean, you look at that Bulls, it was the defense. The defense carried that team. Everybody assumes he had Michael Jordan, and Michael Jordan covered for a lot of stuff. Michael Jordan can get you out a lot of stuff. But the team defense on that, uh, you know, as part of that dynasty. Well, people forget that Michael Jordan was a great defensive player, and, and that's why, for my money, he's the best of all time because yes. he could do it all. And, you know, it's interesting. You had the three championships in the beginning, and then you had the two years where they didn't win. Then you had three years, and it was a totally different team. Yes. You know, it was a totally different cast of characters. The uh, uh, On the front end, you had the 91-92 Bulls who went 67-15, and 15, and then, of course, you have the 72-10 and 10 team uh, in the 96-97 season. So, um or 95-96. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah. I was a year off. 95-96 team went 72-10, and 10, which that record was later broken, which we'll touch on in a little while. But, right. um, yeah, I just, you know, we're in the Chicagoland area. You know, people who are listening to us around the world, you know, we live in the Chicagoland yeah. area, and uh, I remember those Bulls teams. I remember the parades and the whole ball of wax, and unfortunately the Bulls haven't done a whole lot since. So I guess we kind of look back on those days even more fond, fondly. Because we are very fond of those yeah, because yeah. we don't know when it's ever going to happen again yeah. for the Bulls. But they were, you know, and not only that, and it goes along with the Lakers and the Celtics because they were the thing of the 80s, Magic and Bird. Right. The Bulls were the thing of the 80s, uh, the 90s, excuse me. Everybody followed them around. Right. Everybody followed them around. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Everybody saw Michael Jordan. And, and I think that that might have been even the difference between the 90s and the 80s. It's that media, mass media, exploded. Mm -hmm. You had cable television really coming into its zenith at that time, and you had advertising dollars, and you had movies, and Michael Jordan you know, being in, in Space Jam and, and Gatorade commercials. Everybody wanted to be like Mike. Like Every kid in the 90s sure. wanted to be like Mike, and that's what you did on the playground. You played basketball, you you tried to curl the tongue that, that MJ would do and, and all that. And so, you know, you tried to do the, the MJ pose, the Eric Jordan pose, even though you couldn't dunk because you were you were four feet and you were short, but you know, everybody tried to do that. You know, everybody tried to emulate Michael Jordan and, and do all the stuff that came with Michael Jordan and, and six and eight is just an incredible number. It's it's something that, I mean, 
in basketball, I could see it being matched at some point, and you, you always wonder. That the one thing that you always wonder with, with that Bulls dynasty is what would have happened had Jordan not played baseball? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, there's a lot of people who say, oh, they went eight in a row. Well, you don't know that. You, you don't know right. because, number one, there could have been injuries. Number two, that would have been two more seasons of basketball. Maybe on the back end, they don't beat Utah. Yeah. Maybe they're worn out by then. I mean, you just, you just don't know. But, hey, six titles in eight years, we'll take it. Oh, no, it was an incredible run, and I think that that's one of the what-ifs that should never be asked because, as you say, who knows what happens. Okay, maybe they win, they beat the Rockets, but they don't beat Utah. Right, right. The dynasty after that was uh, 2000 to 2004, and that was uh, a short dynasty. Phil Jackson again, this time out in L.A. with Kobe and Shaq. Uh, they defeat Indiana in the 2000 NBA Finals, Philadelphia and Allen Iverson in 01, New Jersey in 02. They get knocked out by the Spurs in 03 in the Western Conference Finals, but then they come back and make the finals again in 04. This time they're beat by the Detroit Pistons, and that was pretty much the end of that. Uh, within a year or two, Shaq was gone. Kobe would stay there and win another two titles, but... Shaq moved on to Miami and Cleveland and various other places. Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, but Phoenix. But uh, that was the, a short little dynasty there, but a dynasty nonetheless. Three consecutive titles for the Lakers. Yeah, I mean, you look at those those 2000 Lakers and what they did with repeat with Shaq and Kobe. And, I mean, it, it all starts in that 2000 Western Conference Final when they're down when it's, they're down 16 to the Portland Trailblazers mm -hmm. in the Game 7 in the fourth quarter, and they come back, and you always remember the iconic moment of Shaq alley-ooping, and I'm running down the uh, court, you know, like a, like a, a child, you know, just yep. with the elation. So uh, you look at it, and going into the those Lakers teams, they were dominant, you know, with Shaq and Kobe before all the personalities seeped in, yeah. which you mentioned. You know, in 03 and 04, that's when they, you know, 04 is when it, that was the beginning of the end, mm -hmm. when they got beat by the Pistons in that. But, I, you know, you look at it, and they had a 67-win season in 2000, their best regular season of the three championships, 67-win season. And, but what was surprising to me about that 2000 run was how much they struggled early on mm -hmm. in the playoffs. You know, you had, I mean, they They went to game five in the first round, right. which I don't think anybody really remembers about that 2000 team is that they they were up 2-0, you know, and then they lost in that two and had to go to a, a winner-take-all game five after winning 67. And, you know, and then having a seven-gamer in the uh, in the Western Conference Finals with the Portland Trailblazers having to come back down and then played a very good Indiana Pacers team that always ran in the roadblocks in right. the mid-90s and the early 2000s. Another team, that, a what-if, if they had never run into the Bulls or, or the Magic or the Knicks or then the Lakers. You know, because everybody, 2000 was Reggie Miller's chance to finally get to the NBA final and, and all, all that. But, you know, it, it took him six against the Pacers, as you mentioned. Um, and, but once the Lakers got past 2000, then the dominance seeped in. Right. In 2001, and I'm sure you're going to go over it with their playoff record, in 2001, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was. And, and they beat Philadelphia and Allen Iverson. I mean, Iverson did a great job just to carry that team uh, to the 2001 finals. And then Jason Kidd in New Jersey in 2002. New Jersey would make the finals again the following year and lose to San Antonio uh, 2003. So a great run there by the Lakers. Um, another dynasty that kind of coincides with that, the San Antonio Spurs. I kind of call it the Tim Duncan era, if you will. 
1999, they defeat the Knicks four games to one. That's David Robinson's only championship, Tim Duncan's first. In 2003, they would come back and beat New Jersey four games to two. In 2005, they would beat Detroit in seven. They would sweep Cleveland in 2007, and then eventually they'd make the finals one more time in 13 when they lost to Miami in a matchup they should not have lost. Uh, Game seven, there was a mistake there. Uh, Instead of grabbing the rebound, they knocked the ball out. They get it to Ray Allen. He pumps in a three in the corner, and that's all she wrote. But Tim Duncan uh, winning quite a few championships as well. And uh, I guess because they didn't come in a row or they they didn't come in really a short period of time, they were kind of spread out a little bit. People kind of forget that. But Tim Duncan was was a great player. Tim Duncan was amazing. Him and David Robinson, the Twin Towers in 99. 99 was was a fun year of NBA basketball for me. I think people forget how awful they were in the start of the season, the lockout short season, that they were were 6-8. and And then they won 31 in their last 36 games to go to 37 and 13, the best record in the NBA. Because I think people forget about that lockout short season that they were the best record in the NBA. You know, everybody remembers the Knicks being the eighth seed, but people don't give that San Antonio team its due in the reg- for what they did right. in the regular season in a short season and then winning the final. I'm not, I'm, look, I remember that final. I remember the Sean Elliott. You know, hitting the shot, Avery Johnson hitting the baseline three. I that one's vivid to me because I, you know, that I had a, a personal journey with because I remember being in a hospital room, and you know, sick with Crohn's disease, you know, getting diagnosed with Crohn's disease, but watching that uh, on the TV. Uh, you know, the, the the night after I, you know, the night that I had surgery, I remember waking up and watching that game and 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 and, uh, and just watching San Antonio take it to the Knicks. You know, again, you know, Patrick Ewing not coming short again. But, you know, I think what was the late of San Antonio for this dynasty. Right. You had the weird odd year phenomenon where they won every odd number year for right. five years. Uh, you know, beating a tough Larry Brown team in, in 05 and then just destroying the LeBron James in, in 07. And then, I mean, you know, I'm glad you mentioned 13, but you get 14 as well. Right. When they came back after losing Miami right. and then winning – and ending the Miami dynasty, if you want to call it in the Miami dynasty, when they just destroyed that Miami team, which, you know, just looked tired, and, and they took it to them with a whole bunch of role players in 14. You know, you still had the big three of Ginobili, right. Parker, and, and Duncan, but you had uh, Patty Mills putting up 30 or 27 in the game, going nuts from three-point mm-hmm. land. You, Kawhi Leonard's coming out party. Uh, you know, showing that he was going to be a star in the NBA. Uh, you know, trying to think, there was just uh, Boris Diaw had, had a huge moment right. for the San Antonio Spurs in that series. You know, another dynasty I wanted to throw out: um, the New York Knicks. Um, an interesting run here, and again, I can understand why some people wouldn't say this is a dynasty, but this is what I'm talking about: about a, a sustained period of excellence. The Knicks made the Eastern Conference Finals in 1969. They lose to Boston. Bill Russell's last hurrah, as we've talked about. They come back in 1970. They win the championship over the Lakers in seven. In 1971, again, they get to the Western Conference, uh, excuse me, Eastern Conference Finals, lose a hard-fought seven-game series with the Baltimore Bullets. They come back in 1972. They make the NBA Finals. They lose to the Lakers. They come back in 73 against the same Laker team and destroy them in five games. And then in 1974, they make the Eastern Conference Finals again, 
and lose to Boston. So you got six straight seasons there where they made at least the Eastern Conference Finals. We're talking to you know, Walt Frazier and, and uh, Willis Reed and Dave DeBuscher and Bill Bradley and all these guys. And that's a little bit of a, a dynasty that's kind of forgotten with the Knicks. But I think you got to throw them out there. The other dynasty, one more dynasty I wanted to throw out, and we've touched on this one already, the Detroit Pistons, the bad boys. They make it to the Eastern Conference Finals in 87. Uh, they end up losing. And then to uh, Boston, uh, some controversy after the game where Isaiah Thomas and, and Dennis Rodman came out and said if Larry Bird were black, he wouldn't be that good. That, you know, it's kind of a white man's thing. Uh, in 88, they make the NBA Finals. They lose to the Lakers in a hard-fought seven-game series. The Lakers winning that night became the first team in like 20 years to repeat as champions. We had gone a long time there without a repeat champion in the NBA. 1989, the, the Pistons come back and beat the Lakers. Then they repeat in 1990 by beating Portland. And then in 1991, they lose in the Eastern Conference Finals, which we all remember here in Chicago when Isaiah Thomas and some of those guys walked off the court with a few seconds left of the game. They just walked off the court, wouldn't shake hands with the Bulls, and that was the end of the bad boys. But a nice run by the Pistons. It was a nice run. You mentioned, you know, 87, the conference final, and then, you know, going that, and 88. I mean, it, you know, they were a force there. You know, it, the one it, thing I remember about that team more than anything was their defense. Man, they just shut teams down. Right. You had Isaiah Thomas. You had Joe Dumars. Joe Dumars was the one guy who could really kind of contain Michael Jordan a little bit. Yeah. You know, you didn't like Bill Lane Beer, but you knew he was a good defensive player. You had Vinnie Johnson. You had John Sally. You know, Rodman, I mean, all these guys, they were a heck of a defensive team. They, they, I remember times, especially that 1990 series against Portland, I remember times they would just shut Portland down for four or five minutes at a time, and Portland couldn't do anything. And that's the one trademark I remember of that Pistons team. Yeah, their defense, they, just, they, they clawed the paint. You could never get anywhere in the paint. And you looked at it, and I agree with you. Their defense was their hallmark. You know, the fact is they took on tough opponents every time. But it was, it was that physicalness. And I think that that's, the defensive physicalness gets overshadowed by the controversial comments. The antics. Thomas, the, the antics, right. Because, I mean, that wasn't the only antics. It was the bullying, the, you know, the, uh, you know, the mind games, the, the just press conference hijinks, the, you know. And then, you know, because what you remember about that Pistons is you remember the Larry Bird comment, mm -hmm. you know, and all that. And the sore losers, and then you and then you remember ninety one, right? Because it does overshadow, it, it overshadows your perspective on the bad boys as a whole, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And I mean, they had that tremendous documentary. They've had a couple, the tremendous, which I think give you a little bit more appreciation. But right, you you're right. You remember ninety one and just the the walking pass and not being the classy champion. That brings us to the current Golden State Warriors looking for their fourth title in five years. Uh, interestingly enough, if it does happen, the one year they lost was the year they set the record. They went 73-9 and in the regular season. That's the most wins in NBA history. And uh, they lost the NBA Finals. They had the lead in the NBA Finals and ended up losing to LeBron James in Cleveland. And Michael Jordan has always chided the Warriors' owner, saying, you didn't finish the job. I don't care if you went 73-9. and nine. You didn't finish the job like we did when we went 72-10. and 10. And Michael hasn't been shy about, no. you know, <laughs> ripping into the Warriors' owners a little bit about that. He's got a point, though. He uh, absolutely, he has, absolutely a point. has a point. He absolutely because, has a point. Because, okay, here's the thing. It's a different thing if you lose that final and it's 2-2. Two -two. 
Okay. It's absolutely, to me, it's a little bit different that if it's 2-2. Two, two. You were up 3-1. Three, 3-1, one. Three, one, yep. 3-1. You were up, and then because your power forward can't contain himself, Draymond Green can't contain himself, he gets suspended, even though I felt that he was actually justified in shoving LeBron James. <laughs> what LeBron did was incredibly disrespectful. Right. Stepping over Draymond Green. He doesn't have to do that, and, and you know, make it a very personal step over, no personal space. I, You know, but... You know, if your power forward doesn't get suspended, you know, you, you had a chance to win two games at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Two games at home in that series. And you lost two closeout games at home. Unacceptable. And Michael Jordan's right. Look, to me, that 95-96 team is better than the, the 15-16 Warriors. Yeah, because they finished the they job. They finished the job. Yep. And yeah, even though the Bulls had their moments in that final series. You know, allowing it to get way too hairy there <laughs> in yep. that series. But they finished their job, and the Warriors didn't. I, what's incredible is that, you know, this Warriors team, they didn't really have a whole lot of playoff struggles before Steve right. Kerr came around. And that, like, where they really went far. They were usually getting eliminated in the first round. And then Steve Kerr comes along, and it's like flipping the switch. He gets them to play more freer with ball movement, and they win. In you know, in 2015, they lose in 2016. Then they react to that, and they get Kevin Durant. And to me, Kevin Durant ended LeBron James' run in Cleveland. Right. They dominated. They, they beat Cleveland. Eight, they went eight and one against Cleveland the last two finals. Right. Uh, three teams I want to bring up real quickly uh, before we wrap this up, and th- these are the what of what could have been's, mm-hmm. and we can do a whole show on that. But this is three of them I wanted to bring up. The Milwaukee Bucks of the 1980s, between 1980 and 87, the Bucks were a solid team. Bob Lanier, Junior Bridgman, Sidney Moncrief, Paul Presley, the, the whole ball of wax. I looked it up. Between 80 and 87, the Bucks won 431 regular season games, uh, which was right up there. I mean, Boston won 493, the Lakers won 472, and Philadelphia won 453. The problem is the Bucks could never beat Philadelphia or Boston. To get to the NBA, fight. they lose to one of them. They did all eight years. It's, it's amazing. And three times the Bucks made the Eastern Conference Finals: 1983, 84, and 86, and of course lost all three. So you wonder what could have been there. The other one, the Patrick Ewing Knicks. We kind of touched on this already. You know, Michael Jordan's Bulls knocked Ewing's Knicks four times out of the playoffs. Four times they were knocked out. And if with a little bit of luck. Ewing makes it to one of those finals. Maybe he wins it, but he just couldn't get past Jordan. And finally, the Utah Jazz. Between 1992 and 1998, the Jazz made it to the finals twice. We know that. They lost to the Bulls in 97 and 98. They lost in the Western Conference Finals three other times. They lost to Portland in 92, Houston in 94, and had a very hard-fought seven-game series with Seattle in 1996. So between 1992 and 98, You've got three Western Conference Finals and two trips to the Finals for the Jazz, the Malone-Stockton years, and they couldn't win. And you just think with a little bit of luck somewhere, what could have been? Maybe those teams could have been a dynasty. Oh, absolutely. I, I think the Utah Jazz, to me, are number one on that list because of Stockton and Malone. And those were good teams. You had Fornichak, you had Brian Russell. You, you, you had good pieces there on those Utah Jazz teams. But you mentioned the Western Conference was a hard Conference to get out of during those times. And you meant the, the Seattle '96 is the one I think that they 
would have probably rude the most because, you know, they should have beat Seattle. They didn't. And, you know, and, you know, but then you also look at 94 when, had you been able to get past Houston, right. you probably win the title. <clears throat> Them or the Knicks. It would have been interesting right. to see. But, you know, Houston's another one right there. You know, all those teams that battled for that brief period of time where the Bulls did not have Jordan. And, and to me, another team in there in those 90s is the Indiana Pacers. Mm-hmm. The 90s and 2000s. Think about the Indiana Pacers. They, they ran into the Knicks several times. Uh, everybody remembers that they ran into the Knicks in 94. Mm-hmm. Couldn't beat them. They beat the Knicks in 95, but they ran into the Magic. Then they ran into the Bulls in 97 and 98 because I believe they played the Bulls in back-to-back Eastern Conference Final. Yes. Uh, you know, And you wonder about 98. Have you been able to finish the job against the Bulls in that Game 7 in Indiana? Right, and uh, you know, and then, and then in two thousand, you finally get to the finals, and you lose to the Lakers. You know, and you know, Reggie Miller, man, you know, he carried them, but yep. they could never find a way. Uh, you know, and like I said, but they lost to the Knicks in ninety three and ninety four. You know, going back to the Knicks for just a minute, you know, I can't help to think that if the Knicks had gotten past the Bulls in ninety two, they beat Portland yep. in the NBA Finals. Who who on Portland would have stopped Ewing? Nobody. Kevin Duckworth, no. They probably would have beat Phoenix in 93. Again, who would have stopped Ewing on that team? Nobody. And then you got 94 when they made it to the NBA Finals and they lose to Houston. Unfortunately for the Knicks, John Starks goes 2 for 18 from the floor in Game 7. If he shoots 40%, much less 50%, the Knicks win that game. It's conceivable that Ewing very easily could have won three championships in a row. It didn't happen. He ended up with none. But... Uh, again, it's just the, the, the timing, the way things work out, a little bit of luck maybe on your side. It just didn't work out for him. So, But we'll see what happens with Golden State. And then the next question is, will there be another dynasty? Will we see this again like Golden State, four out of five? I mean, with the salary cap and free agency and I don't know. I don't know if we'll see another dynasty like this in the near future, maybe somewhere down the road, maybe 10 years from now, but – Right now, when you look at the NBA, it's pretty balanced, and it's hard to conceive of a team going on a run like this now, which it appears it's going to be the end of the road maybe for Golden State. they got some free agency issues to deal with this summer. We'll see. I was going to say that the only team that I see going on an extended run like this would be if Golden State's run continues. Yep. I, I, I would agree with that because LeBron's at the end of his career where a couple of years, but, you know, that Western Conference is going to be tough to get through. Sure. Uh, it's tougher than anything he ever faced in the East. So, you know, I mean, LeBron, maybe he has a run with the Lakers here where he gets one or two, which, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets one with the Lakers. But they have a lot of work to do. And they got to fix their front office. But, um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, because you just don't know who that heir to the throne in the Western Conference is right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's the Rockets – Probably not. Portland. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at a team like the Bucks. I mean, could they could they do it with Giannis? They, he's a yeah. young talent. They've got some talent around him. You know, could they go on some kind of a run? Philadelphia. I mean, with Embiid and Simmons, uh, are they the type yeah. of guys that could win a couple, three championships in a row? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, have, you know? I have serious doubts about Philadelphia. Yeah, I do too. But you look at who's Boston. got youth. Maybe Boston, but Kyrie Irving might be gone. Yeah. So. I don't know. We'll have to see how it shakes out. It's not but, the Bulls. Uh, we know that. Well, we know that. 
But uh, I'm but, afraid though. But anyway, that's it. That's our show on NBA dynasties. And for Matt Rosenberg, I'm Pat Cameron. Thanks for listening to the Sports Weekly podcast on NBA dynasties. We'll talk to you next time.